Sunday morning. Okay, back to the excitement. I have to tell you this. This is just kind of exciting to me. My phone has been ringing off the wall with people asking about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, from everywhere, you can't even imagine. I had a call from Alabama this week. Um, a, a dear friend from years ago called me. And um, so I just, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit's at work everywhere, not just here, but everywhere. And I, I just have been flabbergasted this week at the phone calls. It's been really awesome. So I just wanted to tell you, you're not the only one the Holy Spirit's working on here. He is in a hurry to get this bride ready. He is in a hurry to move us all to the next level. He, he is. And um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, uh, we finished talking last week about um, all of the benefits that manifest themselves through the Holy Spirit. And even though there are 12 listed, they manifest themselves in an infinite number of ways. Um, so every, every manifestation of grace has an infinite um, aspect to it. You, you can never get to the end of all of the power of grace that's in the Holy Spirit. Um, we just need to know that it's all available for us. Everything that's listed in 1 Corinthians 12 belongs to us. And we should fully expect things to manifest. Maybe not everything will manifest in your life, but you should fully expect them to. You should expect to be able to minister with a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. You should be able to expect to minister in healing and miracles. That's not, that's not out of the ordinary. That is the normal for a supernatural person. And we've been living as if that's the extraordinary. Anytime something happens, we go, whoa, that was amazing. Where we should be expecting the supernatural. Um, when I went back and started reading Acts again some months ago, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Nobody, nobody, didn't matter what the miracle was, there's no record of anybody going, whoa, that was amazing. People getting healed in their shadows, you know, and they walk by and all these things happening, people raised from the dead. It was expected because they expected the grace of God to flow. And um, um, not that you don't want to be in awe of the power of God, but it, it ought to be expected. And then we ought to worry when things don't happen. You know, what, where do we miss it, Lord? Teach us from every experience that you have ministering to people. It may not work every time, but it's always a learning experience. And, you know, we're learning from the best because even Jesus couldn't get everybody healed. You know, he couldn't get anybody healed. And, and the spirit to heal was there, but he couldn't get everybody healed in his hometown because of their unbelief. So Jesus didn't bat a thousand either. But he said, the things that I do, you'll do also, and greater things than these. So we ought to be living as that's the normal. The supernatural is the normal for a spirit-filled person. Okay. Now, we've talked about all those things and what you could expect. Um, 
But then we get over to this, um, you know, kind of hedging your bets. Because we hit the yeah, but thing. You know, well, yeah, but, you know, people just take advantage of it. They show off, they make a big scene, you know, and we don't need any of that stuff going on. You don't need that happening. And, um, yeah, you're going to have people that make mistakes. Yeah, you're going to have people that um, will gin things up in their own flesh. That's just expected. But that is not an excuse for you to shut down and not allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. Okay? You, you can't use that as an excuse. And that's what the church has been doing for far too many years. Well, we don't want any of that foolishness breaking loose in our church. We don't want any of that. And so we shut down and we don't even look for it. We don't want to talk about it. And if we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's in a very um, cleaned up manner. You know, but I'll tell you this, the Holy Spirit's messy. He's messy because people are messy. And when the Holy Spirit gets involved, He's dealing with people. And um, we have to wade through the mess because God is the God of order. And when He's in charge, it's a blessing. Okay? Um, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. This is where we started all those months ago. We're about to get to the end of this, believe it or not. Ephesians chapter 2. Okay. This is the deal. We were meant to live and walk in His works. Not that we do the works, but we're to live in them. We're the vessel and He flows through us. That puts us right in the middle of the process. Okay, we were preordained by Him that we should show forth the riches of His grace to us. Okay, so we're meant to walk in those things. In other words, live in the supernatural so that the works of God flow through us so that the world can see the riches of His grace. Alright, start with um, verse 1. And you he made alive when you were dead, slain by your trespasses and sins, in which at one time you walked. You were following the course and fashion of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience. Among these we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh. <clears throat> Excuse me, and the passions of our flesh, obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind. We were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. But God, so rich is he in his mercy, because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us, even when we were dead by our own shortcomings and trespasses. He made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. Christ is in union with the Holy Spirit, the anointing power of the Holy Spirit that's on Jesus. Christos, that's why we are Christians, little anointed ones. He gave us the very life of Christ himself. 
the same new life with which he quickened him. For it is by grace that you are saved. And he raised us up together with him and made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with him in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus. He did this that, that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of his free grace in kindness and goodness of heart toward us in Christ Jesus. For it is by free grace that you were saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. <clears throat> it's a gift of God. Not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law, lest any man should boast. For we are God's own handiwork, recreated in Christ Jesus that we may do those good works which God predestined for us. That we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. So we don't, we don't perform the good works. God performs them, but we walk in them. And he performs through us those good works. And when he performs those good works, people see the greatness and the richness of the grace that he has for people. And um, that's his purpose for us. Now the devil wants to pervert that goodness. And he's a liar and the imitator. And he desires to leave the church in the ditch. He did a pretty good job of that in Corinth. The people got spirit-filled, on fire for God. And then they started leading their own services in the flesh, not letting the Holy Spirit have it. So they began to use their prayer language in public without any interpretation. And they began to follow their own thoughts and not what the Holy Spirit desired. And Paul had to come after them and say, you, you have to quit that. God is a God of order and you have self-control. And you have to listen to what the Holy Spirit wants. And if there is any prophecy in tongues, let it just be one or two people and let the person, let someone interpret. If there's no interpreter, shut up. And, and mostly I want you to prophesy it with your understanding so that everybody is on the same page. Everybody gets the blessing. You know, and then he explained that tongues with interpretation of tongues is for unbelievers, not believers. It's unbelievers. So if you're in a body of believers, you're not going to experience too much tongues with interpretation of tongues. Sometimes you will, but not very often, because it isn't necessary. Um, and we talked about Billy Graham. You know that story, and uh, how he. Um, he was a, he didn't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He thought they died with the apostles. And he wrote a book about it. And if I had just, that's the first book I read because I was looking for the Holy Spirit. I, I could have been in a ditch the rest of my life if I had followed that book. But God kept me going. And eventually, Billy Graham, shortly after the book was published, got the lesson of his life. You know, he's preaching this sermon and he runs out of time, doesn't have time to finish it, and he sits down. Somebody in that audience stood up and spoke in tongues. And Billy Graham was angry and incensed and he wanted that person dragged out. And he was upset that the ushers didn't get there quick enough to shut that person up. 
before the ushers could get there the person sat down and somebody on the other side of the auditorium got up and interpreted what that person had said and it was the end of Billy Graham's sermon so Billy was the unbeliever and, and I heard that story right out of his mouth so I, I didn't even get that second hand except through the TV but, but it came out of his mouth you know he said I, I thought I knew but I don't know everything and he regretted having written those chapters in that book but that was for an unbeliever which is what Billy Graham was on the day of Pentecost that's the first tongues with interpretation of tongues there are 120 people all speaking in tongues at the same time and yet every person there from all over the world every language, every tongue known to man standing in that city heard them clearly in their own tongue now, if 120 people are speaking at the same time, it's um, you can't even understand what people in this room are saying when there's a dozen of us. But 120 people speaking all at the same time, praising God, and yet every person there could hear clearly what they were saying and understood it. And I don't know what language Peter preached in, but every person there understood it in their own language. That was tongues... And the Holy Spirit interpreting that tongue in the mind of every person there to hear it. Because everybody there was an unbeliever. Everybody there was an unbeliever. They had no idea what had just happened. So the miracle was so fantastic that 3,000 people got saved that day. Um, but that was for unbelievers. So, you know, all of these abilities should be flowing in the body. We should be free to pray for somebody to be healed and not hedge our bets but I mean get out on the limb and believe for the miracles believe for the healings believe for that supernatural faith believe for whatever it takes we should be way out there on that limb fearless you know to be there but keeping in mind that when you do it through the Holy Spirit there will always be order you know there will always be order and yeah there are going to be nutballs because the devil's going to use anybody who can tend to get over in the flesh but that doesn't mean that we have an excuse not to pursue okay we just need to be discerning of spirits um, go to 2 Corinthians 11 2 Corinthians 11 Okay, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians, warning them about the devil. He just so wants them to come on and be supernaturally powerful people, but he has a concern. Okay, verse 1. I wish you would bear with me while I indulge in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I'm zealous for you with a godly eagerness and a divine jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now Paul's speaking like their spiritual dad. And everybody that he has brought to the Lord and gotten born again, they're his children. Okay? And it's as if his children are the bride of Christ and he's the father having brokered the deal and Jesus is the husband having paid the, the uh, bride price. And he says, I'm going to present you, just walk you down the aisle, as a pure and a chaste virgin to the Lord. 
Okay? But now I'm fearful, lest that even as the serpent beguiled Eve by his cunning, your minds may be corrupted and seduced from wholehearted and sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For you seem readily to endure it, if a man comes and preaches another Jesus than the one we preach, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you once received, or a different gospel from the one that you received and welcomed, you tolerate that well enough. Okay? Skip down to verse 12. But what I do, I will continue to do, for I'm determined to maintain this independence in order to cut off the claim of those who would like to find an occasion and an incentive to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms that we do. For such men are false apostles, spurious and counterfeits, deceitful workmen masquerading as apostles of Christ. It's no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So it's not surprising if his servants also masquerade as ministers of righteousness. But their end will correspond with their deeds. I repeat then. Let no one think I have lost my wits. But even if you do, then bear with a witless man so that I too may boast a little. That I say, by way of this confident boasting, I say not with the Lord's authority by inspiration, but as it were in pure witlessness. Um, for since my boast of worldly things and according to the flesh, I will glory also. For you readily and gladly bear with the foolish, since you are so smart and wise yourselves. For you endure it if a man assumes control of your souls and makes slaves of you, or devours your substance and spends your money and preys on you, or deceives and takes advantage of you, or is ignorant and puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. Um, to my discredit, I must say, we have shown ourselves too weak for you to show such tolerance of us for us to do strong and courageous things um, like that to you. But in whatever any person is bold and dares to boast, mind you, I am speaking in this foolish, witless way, I am bold and dare to boast. Okay. What he's saying is, is I, in my own self, I'm a, I'm a witless man. But I dare to boast through Christ. But there are men out there who are witless who would dare to boast in themselves. And you have to be careful about that and you have to not tolerate it. Okay? This is the way it is. When you are ministering in the Spirit, everything will point to Jesus Christ. Everything that happens will bring glory to Jesus Christ. If it doesn't, it's an alternate gospel. And it's wrong. Um... Muhammad received a false gospel and he perverted what, be, what started as belief in God and became belief in um, Allah, which is not the same. God says, my name is Yahweh. Um, and the Mormons with John Smith, now they do believe in Jesus Christ, but it's a perverted gospel because he added to the scriptures. Um, so um, you just have to be very careful with that we need to immediately be able to recognize the voice of the spirit um, go to John chapter 10 
John chapter 10. All right, start with verse 1. I assure you, and most solemnly I tell you, he who does not enter by the door into the sheepfold but climbs up some other way is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, you know, we always think, well, that's Satan that's going to enter some other way. But you know what? There are a lot of people that have climbed into the church that sit in the pews every Sunday that, that are not a part of the body but have entered the sheepfold by another way. You know, and they they are without life in their spirits, and they will absolutely drain the life out of the church. Um, the chosen frozen is what I call those people, because they have chosen to enter the sheepfold without going through Jesus Christ, without being born again, without being on fire for the Lord. You know, so they take up space and they absorb the oxygen. <laughs> But they are utterly useless. Okay? But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the door for this man, and the sheep listen to his voice and heed it. And he calls his own sheep by name and brings them out. And when he has brought his own sheep outside, he walks on before them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never on any account follow a stranger but will run away from him because they do not know the voice of the stranger or recognize the call. You and I, when we spend time with Jesus, when we spend time in his presence and we spend time listening, you're going to recognize his voice. And when another voice pipes up in church ministering or whatever, you'll know there's something not right about it and you'll go, that is not the right voice. Um, and, and you know, sometimes you'll even hear it in anointed pastors. You'll just hear something and go, ooh, that is not right. Then just discount it. You don't get angry and you don't throw out the whole thing. You pray for the person. But you be sure that everything you hear lines up with Scripture. One of the big faults with, with most Christians is they don't know Scripture. So they don't know if something's right or wrong. They have no idea. You can tell them anything and they'll nod on and agree not having any idea what they're agreeing to. But um, when you start to know Scripture, you become very discerning in what you hear. And uh, some things will make you uncomfortable. And if they make you uncomfortable, good. Block them out. Pray. Pray, pray for what's gone forth that it just not bring forth any fruit. But you should know. You should be able to hear your hear Jesus' voice and recognize it. Not only that, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the very mind of Christ, which means we know. We can recognize and and understand when when the power that's being used is, is real or not. Sandy, you, yeah. you said it, you even sometimes see it in anointed pastors. Anointed by the Holy Spirit, or do you mean in, a, in pastors? Well, so once you're anointed... By the Holy you can Spirit. still make errors. Well, look at Billy know, Graham, and you'll pray. You'll yeah. pray if something comes out of my mouth. Yeah, you know but, it's not right. Up. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, look at Billy Graham. That was a huge. Yeah. You know, but um, 
even I had a check in my spirit over those chapters and I didn't know anything. Yeah. So when you're when you're really, you know, honed in, it doesn't mean you just throw everything out that person says. But sometimes, you know, their revelation is like ours. Nobody has it perfect. Right. But you may have revelation in an area that they don't have. So you go with the revelation that you know the Lord's given you and then just pray that whatever's in error is gone. You know, that it doesn't produce a crop. But you, you know, we're all in different places. So we're going to know different things. I make mistakes, you know. Over the years, oh my goodness, from the time I've started teaching till now, you know, you wish you could go back and eat up all those words 15 years ago. You know, but um, you just try to go with the truth that you have. And it doesn't mean that you're ever going to perfect, be perfect and get it all. But what you hear should line up with Scripture. And a mature Christian will know that. And what you hear that's anointed will sound like the voice of Jesus coming out. And um, so you need to pay attention. So when you have people who are jumping up in a church service and giving a word or whatever, if you're out visiting somewhere, you'll know the voice of Jesus when you hear it. And you'll know the voice of error. Because we have the mind of Christ and we have that discernment. We're able to discern that. We have that unction. John calls it the unction. The anointing power of the Holy Spirit. So that we recognize that. Um, even if you don't have the education. Like I, I didn't have the education. I was trying to get educated when I picked up Billy Graham's book. And, but I knew in my spirit that that wasn't right. That there was more than that. And I just didn't know where to find it at the time. And um, then to, you know, a few years later hear Billy Graham actually say, Man, I regret writing those chapters. Um, you know, that, that was confirmation that even my little spirit that was just getting started could tell something wasn't right. So you need to stay with that. Um, Jim Simbala, who is the pastor at um, uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle, he's amazing. If you ever get to read any of his books, Jim Simbala is fabulous. Um, but he says... To the degree to which we understand and experience the Spirit of God will be the exact degree to which God's plans for our churches will be accomplished. So the sharper we are to be able to hear the voice of God, the more our church is going to line up with the will of God and do the will of God. The duller we are, the less we're going to line up. Okay? So that's the warning about all of this. You don't run away from it because of error. You just keep growing in it because everybody is growing in it. You don't condemn. You don't condemn. You don't judge. You just say they're in a different place and I know better. You know. And you trust your own instincts. Okay. Um, but we have to go after authentic power. Authentic power. We must. You can't you can't stay comfortable. You can't stay in your safety zone. Um, the Lord took me back this week to the uh, the parable of the talents. And, um, you know, the king was going away. And what did he do? He gave one guy ten talents, one guy five, one guy one. Translate that. What if he says, I'm giving you all of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. To operate in you while I'm gone. I want you to use those manifestations. Multiply them in the earth. And take ground for me. Take ground. 
said that to the guy in the middle, I'm, I am going to assure you that most of my uh, manifestations will flow through you. Use it to take ground. Bring more into the kingdom. And he gave one guy, he says, now the Holy Spirit's going to operate in you, not quite like these others, but I expect you to take ground with that. These two guys go out and they use those abilities and they take ground for the kingdom of God. But the one says, well, what if everybody makes mistakes in church? I'm not going there. What if I get made fun of? What if people think I'm crazy because I pray for somebody to be healed when it's impossible? What if I, you know, what if I tried to uh, give somebody a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom and they don't take it right? Somebody's going to make fun of me or think I'm crazy. So I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to be a good person. I'm born again. I've got this anointing in me. And I'm just going to be quiet. Guess what? He says, even, even what you have, is gonna, you'll lose it. You can't keep an anointing that you don't use. That anointing is going to pass to somebody else who will go out and take ground for the Lord. You know, and that person becomes the one where Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. And they're going to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we minister in your name? And didn't we do that and the other? He's going to say, sorry, I never knew you. You know, I think there are going to be a lot of church folks that are really surprised. Really surprised. Because they've lived that good life, you know. Um, just like me for years, I was a good girl going to hell. That's just about it. And um, I, I just, I don't want that for us. I don't want that for us. God has poured out his full abundance of grace. It's up to us to pick it up. And you can have as much as you want. He's not even saying you just get two or four. You can have every bit of it, as much as you want, as much as you're willing to step out in, as much as you go after, as much as you hunger and thirst for. But this is it about authentic power, and I love this. Um, Julia Lauren, who I really don't know a lot about, and her book, some of it made me uncomfortable, um, called Shifting Shadows of the Supernatural. Um but she quotes people who I do believe in. Bill Johnson and Mahesh Javda. And, um, there are several people in the book that she quotes that I do believe in. So, you know, we're mostly on the same page. Um, but she said this, and I so agree. Our challenge and responsibility is not to move in power, but to move in the presence of God. Mm. It's a heart thing. It's not, look what I can do power flowing through me. It's look at what God can do through me. So it's not our job to move in power. It is our job to move in the presence of God. To walk in intimate relationship with the one who releases his anointing through us. We become like the one we behold in worship. By seeking to draw closer to God, the God of power, we become increasingly more like him. And that's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, as you look at the face of God and you, you study that word and you look into it deeper and deeper, you, you move from glory to glory to glory. You begin to look more and more like him. Okay? The more we seek the God of authentic power, the purer his anointing will flow through us. Um, so again, it all comes back to this. You are a vessel. You are a vessel. So um, we say, 
Jesus was God acting on the earth. And he was a perfect man. Fully God, fully man. That's not the way we are. So that's our excuse then. Even if we're seeking God, we go, oh, we're not there. We're not where he was. We're a long way from where he was. That's what we say. And that becomes our excuse. But this is the truth of it. Um, God's perfection wasn't just for Jesus alone. Jesus went to the cross. He took all of our sins and shortcomings. All of the curse. Every bit of it to the cross. And killed it there. Okay? Grace flowing abundantly at the cross purchased that perfection for each one of us. Anybody who would believe and receive it. Alright, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know what John says, 1 John? As he is, so are we in this world. And how is he? He is perfect. And we are in Christ Jesus. That's the whole point of the first part of this teaching was on grace. We, we've been taught that we're so imperfect and so broken and so useless that we can barely have enough of God to get us by every day. And what, what Jesus did at the cross is to take care of that brokenness so that as he is, so are we in this world. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You can't be more perfect than that. Do you think you can stand before God with one blemish on you if you were... If you were um, not the righteousness of God, you, you'd be burned up to a crisp. But we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And His is His His perfection. He is perfection. Alright, look at uh, starting with verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5, start with verse 14. For the love of Christ controls and urges and impels us because we are of the opinion and conviction that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that all those who live might live no longer to and for themselves but to and for him who died and was raised again for their sake. Consequently, from now on, we estimate and regard no one from a purely human point of view in terms of natural standards of value. No. Even though we once did estimate Christ from a human viewpoint as a man, yet now we have such knowledge of him that we know him no longer in terms of the flesh. Therefore, if any person is in and grafted in Christ, the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and the new has come. But all things are from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself and received us into favor and brought us into harmony with himself and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation that by word and deed we might aim to bring others to harmony with him. We, we have been made perfect in Christ Jesus so that God can work through us just like he did through Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He reconciled the world to himself. You and I are to be out there taking territory for God. 
bringing people and reconciling them to God. You do that with the supernatural anointing of the Holy Spirit. Preaching and yelling at people and, and a sharing a scripture or two is not always going to get it. Sometimes it takes a miracle. Sometimes it takes something supernatural with an anointing on it. And that's how we do it. But we've got to quit thinking of ourselves as we have. Now let's keep reading. Verse 19. Let's see. It was God personally present in Christ reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself and not counting up and holding against them their trespasses but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation of the restoration of favor. All our sins are canceled. If you don't have any sin then what? You're perfect before God. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal as it were through us. We as Christ's personal representatives beg you for his sake to lay hold of the divine favor now offered you and be reconciled to God. For our sake he made Christ virtually to be sin who knew no sin so that in and through him we might become endued with viewed as being in and examples of the righteousness of God. Whatever we ought to be approved and acceptable in right relationship with him by his goodness. So there's no excuse for us other than, than just not knowing. But God has made provision for us. So our job is to seek after the giver of the anointing. However, in that seeking, there is also a heart to desire that he would manifest himself through us. Look at verse, <clears throat> uh, go to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 12. Back up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to see that Paul re repeats this several times, which tells me that it's important. Okay? Look at uh, 12 verse 31. Thirty-one. Mm -hmm. 12, 31, just this one verse. earnestly desire and zealously cultivate the greatest and best gifts or manifestations and graces the higher gifts the choicest graces and yet I will show you still a more excellent way uh, one that is better by far and the highest of them all love alright he's saying that word for covet is zeloah which means to burn with desire, to be moved with jealousy and envy. So we should be desiring, and by best it means the most appropriate abilities. So whatever you're doing, you know, if you're praying for somebody sick, you don't need to covet um, <clears throat> to speak in tongues unless they're an unbeliever and they need something. But what you want to do is desire with a passion every benefit that is going to get that person healed miraculously. You might need a word of knowledge. You might need discerning of spirits. You don't know what you need. But you want to burn with zeal to have the very abilities that you need on hand when you need them. 
And you need to be hungry about it. Really hungry about it. Look at 14.1. Now love is key because none of these work without faith. And faith doesn't work without the love walk. Okay? Faith is empowered and energized by love. So that's why this chapter is right in the middle. You know, you, you have to walk in love in order for faith to be there. Alright? But then he says, look at verse 1 and 14. Eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love. Make it your aim, your greatest quest. And earnestly desire and cultivate the spiritual endowments. Especially that you may prophesy. Interpret the divine will and purpose in inspired preaching and teaching. Okay? So he says, go after these benefits. Earnestly desire them. Look at verse 39. 1439. Go to 39. And again he says, so to conclude, my brothers, earnestly desire... And set your hearts on prophesying, on being inspired to preach and teach and to interpret God's will and purpose. And do not forbid or hinder speaking in unknown tongues. But all things should be done with regard to decency and propriety in an orderly fashion. Paul says you have to go after this. It isn't going to just drop in your lap. And this is the thing that I hear the most. Well, if God intends for me to have it, he'll give it to me. Meaning, he'll drop it on my head and it'll come out of me like a, a, a robot. He'll take control of my body and, and it'll just come right out. And God didn't even, he won't even get you saved like that. What makes you think he'd do anything like that? He would never trespass on your being without your permission. He says, if you want something from me, you have to ask. The reason you have to ask is because I need permission to provide it in your life. I'm not going to jump ahead of you and do something without you asking me. Because then I'm violating your free will. You have to ask me if you want something. Well, this is it. You have to seek and be hungry for and reach out after um, and desire with a passion those abilities to be in your life. You're going to have to go after them diligently after them not not just a little bit you're going to have to go after them and fear's no excuse because perfect love casts out fear and again I'll tell you the abuses by one person never justify the neglect by another the abuses of one never justifies the neglect of another so just because somebody abuses it doesn't justify you to neglect going after it Okay, we can't be satisfied praying for and believing God for the possible. That's where we spend most of our time praying. Give the doctors wisdom, give them skill for their hands, you know, let the medicine work. Um, you know, Father, just be in that circumstance so that this person won't lose their job. It, those are, that's praying for the possible. We have to get beyond praying for the possible and get to the place where we're, we're asking for God's power to do the impossible. You know, we want to move into the miraculous and the impossible. 
Um, I love this quote. If you're not dangerous in the spirit, you're wasting your time. If you're not dangerous in the spirit, you're wasting your time. If the demons don't recognize you, if your little light's so pale in the spirit that they barely even see you, they're not going to move for you. And nothing else is going to move for you. Um, so if you're not dangerous in the spirit, you're just wasting your time. And that's what a lot of the church is doing, just wasting our time. I'm, I'm sick about how many years I wasted. You know, I wasted my time. So you just need to check your own vessel. This is the bottom line. You have to be overflowing with power. You can't give away something that you don't have enough of for yourself. If you're not overflowing, you don't have enough for anybody else. And, and when you get into the kingdom, fullness is measured by overflow. The only way you know that you're full is when that power overflows in your life. If you're just praying and not getting results, then I'd say your vessel's a little empty. And that's the standard I put up for myself, you know? And the question is, how much do we look like Jesus? You know, how much do we look like him? Um, I'll tell you, this has been hard on me. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've just been whooped over this. Um, so many things in my life have changed because of this study. Uh, I, I, some things I'm sharing with you, sometimes I just I feel like a baby, you know, thumb-sucking baby talking to you about this stuff because, I mean, I'm, I'm relearning. I am relearning. A lot of this I knew, but I'm relearning, you know, because I've let things slide too. I have let things slide. And I'm just, I'm tired of it. So, you know, you want to know how much you look like Jesus. First of all, you know you got to be born again. Because Jesus said to, to um, Nicodemus, he said, in order to see anything in the kingdom of God, in order to, to understand that there is another kingdom besides the material realm, you have to be born again. You can't, if I tell you of material things and you don't understand, how am I going to tell you about spiritual things when you can't even see the kingdom? So you have to, number one, be born again, which I'm sure we're there. But then you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. You must be baptized in the Holy Spirit with your prayer language. It's a must. And if you're not, just call me. Okay? Because you need that. You need that. Um, that is the thing that opens the door to the supernatural. Jesus was always born again, but the supernatural doors opened to him when he came up out of that water and the Holy Spirit came down and baptized him. And he went from being Jesus, son of Joseph and Mary, to Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. And as soon as he stepped out of that water, the supernatural followed him up out of, that, up out of the Jordan. And he began to do miracles everywhere. <clears throat> but not before then. Not before then. He was uh, alive in the spirit. But he did not do any of the supernatural works. Because God wasn't flowing through him. Because he hadn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You must be baptized. Um, Smith Wigglesworth said it this way. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Or to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is to be filled with manifestation. I'm going to say that again. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with manifestation. The glory of the Lord being in the midst of us, manifesting His divine power. And that's necessary. 
So once you're born again, then you begin to desire with all your heart to seek after God's power to flow through you. You have to hunger for it and thirst for it in your spirit. You almost have to ache for it. You have to just ache for something deeper, something more. Um, you want to. You just have to have a passion for it. Um, so that's the first thing. You get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then you begin to really just ache for and desire to see that supernatural. You just can't afford to be comfortable. You have to ache for it. It's the best way I know to say it. You just have to have such a hunger in you for it. The second thing you need to do then is pray in the Spirit. Use your prayer language a lot. Spend quality time in the Spirit because that is the doorway that, that opens you up to the supernatural. And that's very important. And I had let that go. I mean, I do pray in the Spirit, but I, I had not been praying a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And, and now I'm, I am whipping myself back into shape again. You know, I pray a lot in my understanding, but I had, you know, you kind of let that slide a little bit. And now I'm, I'm starting to go there again. And then the next thing, and I started this last week, because this is, it's, it's not just a key, it's, it's really important. Um, pray in the Spirit corporately. Go where there are other people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Get into the presence of people who are already flowing in the Spirit. Um, that super uh, union of people gathered together multiplies the anointing power. And it, it increases the power in you. It increases your anointing. Um, seek it out. Um, you don't have to just come to prayer group on Monday night. Um, although that's a good place to start. But you need to go to places where there are people who are preaching and teaching about the Holy Spirit. Um, there are opportunities all over the place. You just have to open your eyes and find them and then go after them. Experience some things. Don't be afraid to go into a Spirit-filled meeting, a full gospel meeting. Don't be afraid of that. Just go. Learn something. Some of it's good. Some of it's not good. But just go and learn and experience. Until you experience it, you have no earthly idea where you're going. You need to seek it out actively. Um, prayer is the most important thing, honestly. Uh, you know, we always hear taught, prayer is the undergirding of the church. It undergirds everything the church does. And that is BS. That is not true. Prayer is the dynamo, you know, the supernatural, awesome power of God released. It is the thing that makes the church go at all. To the degree that there's power in the church, that's the degree to the, that the church will be successful. And, when I, and to the degree that there is spirit-filled prayer in the church, that even more asserts whether or not there will be success in the church in the things that they do. Because prayer is the warfare. Prayer is the battle. Prayer's like David going after Goliath. The Goliath is slain in the prayer. When people go out from their little uh, committees to do things, the little church programs, and I'm not putting down church programs, but when people go out in their little church programs to do whatever they do, they're only picking up the spoils. They're out gathering the spoils of what was done in prayer, in warfare, in corporate warfare. 
this church is walking around and the success is walking around in on the shoulders of people like Betty Markwood who spent years walking these halls and praying and anointing this church and standing in the gap. And um, um, the years I was here, I was so blessed to be able to do that with her. And right up until we kind of lost her a few years before she passed away. Um, the day before, we were in this church praying together. You know, um, and Betty was saying, come on, let's go. And she'd call me in and we'd go to work. And um, the church right now is standing on those prayers. And the church has a prayer group on Monday nights. And I'll tell you this, if you have a passion for something, you'll find a way to be there to do it. That's, what, that's the truth of it. If you don't have a passion for it, you won't be there. But this church, every Monday night at 7 o'clock, has a prayer group that meets. And um, it's very informal. Nobody's required to pray out loud. You don't have to stay the whole time. You can come whenever, leave whenever. You, you can find a pew and sit all by yourself in the back of the church. You can do whatever you need to do. But you need to start coming um, and praying. Just pray in the Spirit. If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's a great place to get Spirit-filled. We had two more people get Spirit-filled last week from the Sunday school class. Monday night. And the week before that, we had another person get Spirit-filled. It's, it's happening but you need it in your life. You just got to come and um, be a part of that anointed worship. Right now, every Monday night, there's six of us. And three of them are members of our church. Three aren't. And how many members are in this church right now? Over 600 members? Come on. Come on. Um, you, you know, we, we need that power that comes from everybody being united in prayer. And again, to the extent that a, that a body is praying, um, that's the extent to which the manifestation of his power is going to come. Um, and, and without prayer in this church, this church will die. I've seen that happen too. I have seen that happen. Um, it'll be slow death, but it'll be a death. Um, without prayer, the church will die because the church is the dynamo, the power producer, the anointing producer in the church. And then the people that go out to do ministry are living under that anointing that's been prayed up on them and they're just going out to collect the spoils. The battle's been won in the spirit every single time. And um, so we just, you need to remember that and you need to find ways to get into corporate prayer. If you don't want to come to ours, fine. Find somebody that's praying and be there. Um, it, it's really important. Um, we're going to pick up here next week, but I, I just want to give you a little bit here. Well, week after next. Woof. Um, um, I just want to say, tell you this. Um, Ezekiel 47. You can read it this week. It's a picture of the river that flows out from the sanctuary, from you know, from the uh, from the sanctuary out into the land, which is you know. To Israel and then down into the sea the Dead Sea which is a type of lost humanity and everywhere that river flows everywhere that river flows it brings life everywhere even to the Dead Sea okay so John Osteen I know you, you guys know Joel 
But Joel and his dad are very different. John was a fiery Pentecostal man who told it like it was, and boy, um, he is something else. I, I oh, I loved John Osteen's. Um, I grew up, I cut my teeth on John Osteen. He's wonderful. But this is what he said about that river, Ezekiel 47. He said, this is a mighty river of God. God never started a denomination. He started a river of people flowing out from the house of God to a needy world. They were to flow out to the world and to help to heal humanity. To be a demonstration to the world of the resurrected Christ. And if you're not in the flow, if you're not in the flow, then you're part of the bogs. And you need to read about the bogs that don't flow with the river. Okay, you need to read about the bogs. That's Ezekiel 47. And um, so you should read that while I'm gone. That's your homework. Okay. Yeah. Yep, and then we'll pick up there when I get back. We're about done with this. This is all that's left getting close. Alright, let me just pray for you. Father, I just pray for this body and um, I just pray for the week while I'm gone, Lord, that you would raise up someone to, to do this, that they would have a heart just to share. Um, that they would ha have boldness, Lord, and that you would give them an anointing for it. And Father, I just thank you for this group. I thank you for the blessings that are here. And I speak those blessings to, to follow these people everywhere they go. Um, Lord, that they are blessed and they're going out and they're coming in and blessed and they're lying down and they're rising up. Blessed in their baskets and their stores. Blessed in the things that they set their hands to. Their animals are blessed. Their crops are blessed. Their gardens are blessed. Anything and everything, Lord, that you have given them is blessed and prosper because of you, Father. And we just, we give you the praise and the glory. And Lord, I ask for all this in Jesus' name. And we thank you for the answers. Amen.